Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Well, welcome to God's Planning for this, our first episode, the kickoff, as it were. I'm Father Gregory Pine, and I'm here with Father Patrick Briscoe. How are you doing there, Father Patrick? Hello, everybody. <laughs> So we are recording from Washington, D.C. and Providence, Rhode Island presently. Um, I'm assigned to the Thomistic Institute here in D.C. And Father Patrick, you want to say just a word about what you're doing up there? Yeah, uh, my primary assignment is to St. Pius V Parish here in Providence, Rhode Island. It's adjacent to Providence College, which the Dominican Order also sponsors. Dig. So we are both sons of the province of St. Joseph, uh, and we're Dominican friars or members of the Order of Preachers. And we're here with, uh, again, the first episode of our podcast called God's Planning. And the inspiration to have a podcast is in part fueled by the actual charism or um, what it is that inspires the order, what inspired St. Dominic. So maybe, Father Patrick, you want to just talk a little bit about um, St. Dominic and kind of his approach to preaching and how that brings, uh, brings us to the present? Part of the idea behind the podcast is we wanted another place where we could share about our life. Uh, unlike other saints who left their religious orders, lots of writings, St. Dominic, Dominic didn't leave us very much in terms of the written word. What he left us really, his great gift to the order was a way of life. And that way of life is centered above all in our contemplative prayer. And out of that relationship with God, out of our communal relationship with God, our prayer, our, lived, our living out of the liturgy, we have things to say. We want to speak. Uh, we want to speak to the world, and share from share from that grace, that special gift of of our of our of our shared religious life, which um, was given to us by Saint Dominic. So I think that's at the very heart of what we want to do. One of the uh, ways that the Dominican Order is described, or the heart of the Dominican Charism, is to contemplate and to give to others the fruits of one's contemplation. And the idea there is that. In a relationship with the Lord, um, you know, the person himself is, is transformed, is transfigured, and that that becomes a kind of beginning of preaching so that what we testify to or what we explain is the fruit of an encounter, is the fruit of a relationship, um, but something that is made for the church entire, something that overflows uh, and gives life, please God. And so, um, yeah, one of, the, one of the great gifts of being in the Dominican order is having the life of study and then having the life of you know, community, having, having friends and brothers with whom one lives as a way to engage with reality and to, yeah, think well about life and to love well in turn. So we're hoping that, yeah, the podcast becomes uh, an ongoing engagement, an ongoing conversation and a way for uh, us and for listeners to think well about life, uh, to suffer life well, if that's what it entails. But ultimately, um, <laughs> ultimately to, um, to draw fruit from all of the concrete circumstances, all of the concrete um, you know, particulars in which the Lord himself is communicating his will. So we'll talk a little bit of you know, philosophy and theology and arts and literature and culture, all things Catholic, uh, but ultimately with the, with the idea that we're going to yeah, look for the Lord, to seek him where he is to be found. There's a, there's a longstanding joke that breakfast at the Dominican House of Studies is a three-credit course. <laughs> and, and I, think that, I think that comes from, 
comes from comes from the root of this of, of our life that we're trying to express. That the, the fri- friars have lots lots to say, and we can't invite everyone to breakfast at the Dominican House of Studies all the time. Uh, but you can willingly subject yourself to a podcast. For very- <laughs> yeah, it's like breakfast, except less fortifying, uh, at least in the bodily sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Soul alas, food, Father Ex- Gregory. That's Amen. <laughs> I n- never hath it been described better. Soul food indeed. Um, so we thought for this here first episode uh, that we talk a little bit about apologetics. Um, and I think that a lot of us have questions about how to do it well. We feel the urgency of, I've met the Lord and he's changed my life and I can't imagine my life without it, but how do I describe that to people in such a way that it's attractive, that it's compelling, that it's learned, right? And ultimately that it, that it wins hearts uh, for the Lord. So Father Patrick, you like, know, some, some of like your initial winning. thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, do, I do like winning, Father Gregory, and if, and if I can win for the Lord, that's even better. Right, oh, absolutely. I I, um, out, of the, out of the experience of my own life, um, I saw a lot of a lot of young men uh, who encountered Christ and who were really on fire um, to share him in very good ways. But it takes a kind of there, there's a kind of experiential and formative thing that has to happen in order to do that well. So I was in a college seminary for a few years, and um, all of us, this includes me, uh, we're 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 really we're really on fire uh, with the faith. Um, but not all of us, this includes me, uh, always presented that faith. In a in a way that in in a way that was as captivating as we ourselves had um, first encountered Christ and, and caught others up into. So so what what I learned from that experience in in college, um, both my formation in college seminary and then subsequently what I've seen time and time again in the order, is the need to to think critically about our joyful witness and um, to to think to think about the kind of ways that we really that we can really um, compel people because we can't just bludgeon them. Um, with the reason stick, the reason <laughs> stick is great. I love the reason stick, and it's uh, and it's pretty powerful. Um, and you can't not use the reason stick, right? Uh, we, mm-hmm. we we have we have to have critical arguments for the faith, uh, but we 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 also have to have to live the faith vibrantly. So that's one of the things that was on my heart at the beginning of this. Sure. What do you think? Like, so the dispositions that you approach apologetics with, when I think of this, I think, okay, uh, at least at the outset, one of my temptations is just to be right, you know, and you, you talk about the reason stick. And that's, I mean, that's a perennial temptation because like somebody comes up to you and they're like, you know, uh, have you met the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And you're like, I know how this conversation is going to go. <laughs> or somebody comes up and they're like, I have some literature for you to read. And you're like, no, I know how this is going to go. Or somebody comes up to you and they said like, hey, I just read Sam Harris's new book. And you're like, I know how this is going to go. But like um, immediately your blood's up. You're like, you know, for whatever reason, it's just you, you feel uh, a kind of wave, not necessarily of anger, but like of intensity. And you're like, I am going to vindicate the truth of Jesus Christ. But it's been my experience that sometimes that's not the best disposition <laughs> whereby to, uh, yeah, win hearts. So uh, when I think of like good dispositions to approach with, I think of like humility, you know, I think of like loving the other person. I think of trying to kind of get to the heart of what it is that they're after. You know, what have, what are some of your experiences in that regard? Hmm. Uh, I think that coming into a discussion about apologetics foundationally, we have to remember that, um, that preaching the kerygma, really inviting people into the basics of the gospel is fundamentally a work of love. It's fundamentally uh, a work of love. 
And charity means being able to really be united to someone. You know, in the, in the Christian sense, charity is being united to God, sharing his own inner life. And we have to be willing to have our dialogue partners, to use some jargon, which is a la mode. Uh, we, we have to be willing to be united with them in a certain way. And to consider apologetics, even, even as a defense of the church, um, as uh, to consider apologetics, even as a defense of the church, as something from the outright absolutely confrontational, I think really, I think really undermines um, the the Christian dispensation. Um, I don't yeah. know what would you say to that, Father Gregory. No, I think it's like I th- I found that it's more necessary to love the other person's destiny. You know, to again to speak in some jargony terms, but to love their their destiny more than you love being right, because ultimately. Um, you know, all apologetics, though it is, you know, it's a defense of the faith. We want to show that we have reasons. We want to defend the church against her attackers or those who would impugn her, you know, her dignity. Ultimately, what we want is souls, you know. Um, It was said of St. Francis Xavier, uh, a good Jesuit missionary, that he had a greed for souls, you know. He wanted to, he wanted to steal them from the evil one. He wanted to collect them for the Lord. And I think that that should, I mean, that same urgency should be a kind of fire in the bones of each Christian evangelist. You want to love that other person's destiny as one made from and for God, you know, and only ever happy in God more than we want to be right. And that doesn't mean that we capitulate. That doesn't mean that we like hem and haw or don't give adequate testimony, don't give reasons, you know, but it does mean that we place their good before our own subjective self-satisfaction. You know, like I've said the right words, I've marshaled the right arguments, you know, Hmm. Before I enter the order, I read uh, Guy Bidwell's biography of St. Dominic, which is just a a fantastic account of St. Dominic's life. And one of the moments that reduced me to tears as I was reading about St. Dominic for the first time was about his love for sinners. And I think that's such a striking part of St. Dominic's own life and something which I've experienced in the order that there, there is a real desire to reunite people who are far from Christ with him and, and importantly with his church. Um, St. Dominic would spend all night in vigil, um, undergoing rigorous penances and undertaking uh, very severe fasts on behalf of those uh, that he would preach to. And I think that if we, if we think of the importance of St. Dominic's disposition and how that, how that fed those penances, that desire to convert sinners, how that fed his preaching, um, a lot of that is a lot of that, a lot of that um, work of prayer can really build up and make more effective because of Christ's merits, of course, uh, our attempts at apologetics. Yeah, it's uh, just as you're saying that the the kind of image that presents itself to my mind, and this will seem unrelated, but I promise you it is, is <laughs> <laughs> is pastoral fluency, right? So in formation, we're encouraged to learn Spanish, and the idea, the hope is that you're you're pastorally fluent. Being that you can celebrate, exacto. Um, the idea being that you can celebrate the mass and hear confessions and function in a you know a Spanish-speaking pastoral setting. And what I came to discover when I was studying Spanish was that there's like no such thing as pastoral fluency, right? <laughs> like there's just fluency. There is just fluency because pastoral settings are human settings, right? And so too with the work of evangelization, there's no such thing as being um, like apologetically fluent. You know, it's not it's not sufficient to know the proof texts. It's not sufficient to have rehearsed uh, whatever first and second best argument for each discrete theological point, because it's like, it's the fruit of a whole life. And um, 
something that's often quoted to this effect is Paul the sixth uh, apostolic mm-hmm. exhortation, the Evangelia Nuziandi, where he says that um, like modern man is more accustomed or is, or is more likely to listen to witnesses than he is to teachers. And if he listens to right. teachers, it's because they're witnesses. Right. So the, the thing that people often find most convincing is, is love, you know, not just love for them and a kind of like condescending or patronizing way like, Oh, look at poor you would that you knew Jesus so you could be better and more snuggly. It's like, no, what they want to know is that like Jesus can change our lives. Right. And that it's like possible to love him because he loves us. And then they see that, you know, in like the wild eyes of the witness and like, Whoa, something is going on here. You know? So it's not, yeah, it's, it's not like pastor fluent. It's just fluency. You know, it's just a matter of loving the Lord. Right. Right. I can't stand when people seem to be loving me the way that I love miniature schnauzers. (laughs) (laughs) I have have no time for that. And some, some people, some people look at, look at priests that way or look at people of faith more generally that way. They say like, Oh, isn't that cute? You know, it's nice the way that, the way that a well, a well-groomed miniature schnauzer is, is nice and, and cute and warms the depths of your soul. But there there has to be a deeper exchange there um, at at the outset, and and it's fundamental. Here's a a question. Um, It seems like nowadays, whenever somebody makes a truth claim, and implicit in that truth claim is that other people don't have that truth, that it's seen as condescending. So if I say, like, Jesus Christ is a universal mediator of salvation, instantaneously people pipe up and they're like, well, are you saying that all Hindus are bad people? It's like, that's not what I'm saying. You know, they're saying like, well, does everyone have to convert to Christianity if they can hope to enjoy like any modicum of happiness? It's like, well, (laughs) pause, pause, (laughs) wait for it. So like, ultimately, you know, I guess the question isn't so much, how do you convince people that you're not condescending as the question is like, how do you not be condescending? Like, and how do we stand on the firm foundation of our faith and do so in a way that people recognize as genuinely charitable and not patronizing. Right. Well, so I think one, one thing that has always helped me, and maybe I appreciate this just because I'm a Dominican, but I think when the truth is presented clearly, that helps. Mm. When, and I think that this is something that our generation, that millennials especially appreciate. Um, when something is given in a meek, you know, and, and by meek, I mean, watered down, meek is the wrong word. When something is given in kind of a, a watered down or a half explained or a, re, or a re, reductive way, that, that is very upsetting and that will cause more problems. So I think, I think there's a level of directness and of authenticity and clarity, which actually helps conversations um, from the outset. So, if, so when, when, someone, when someone brings up the Jesus Christ thing, I actually say, I always double down on that. I say, well, yes, I do believe that Christ is the one mediator of truth, but let's talk about what that actually means. Um, because if I didn't think that, I wouldn't be a Christian, but I am a Christian. So we are going to talk about Christ. And I think there are ways of, of affirming, you know, even, even some of the, the kind of ridiculous responses that people typically have that, that, can, that can be helpful because they offer, a, they, they, they show that you are willing to engage in a direct and clear conversation instead of something that's kind of mediocre. Um, This is one thing that's kind of, uh, that can be upsetting if one engages in ecumenism. Mm -hmm. Real ecumenism, uh, real ecumenism amongst Christians is being able to be clear about points of disparity. Yeah. You know, being able, being able to look, being able to look 
someone in the eyes and say, I just disagree with you. The proper way to talk about the most holy trinity is with persons rather than modes. And that, that's, that, would be, that would be something that I, you know, that I would be absolutely committed to and hold to, right? But that allows a discussion mm-hmm. to, uh, to unfold about the nature of the persons, about the nature of the Most Holy Trinity. Um, and I think that if you try and hide things or reduce them, it, it actually makes dialogue um, impossible. Mm-hmm. Because what are, you, what are you talking about? So I think, I think, again, kind of clarity, coherence, a direct approach that that, that that can be beneficial and that people shouldn't be afraid of that. Yeah. That's one thing I think, that I've already pre- always appreciated about friars in particular. Yeah. And, and as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking too, of like, in order to conduct this kind of, you know, in order to conduct the conversation well and please God fruitfully, you really do. You need to know the other person because when we oh, talk about absolutely. apologetics, yeah. it's like a, a, not all apologetics are equal, right? Because in, in general, you know, you're giving a defense of the faith. I mean, I suppose more, uh, like a richer vision envisions it as being evangelical or, you know, like kind of winning hearts for the Lord. But um, there's a difference between talking with a fallen away Catholic, between talking with, uh, you know, an Orthodox Christian or a Protestant or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Jew or an atheist or an agnostic. Like everyone else, every, all of these people have their different first principles, their different presuppositions. And if you mm-hmm. go at it in a way that's, you know, irrespective of persons or backgrounds, it's going to be somewhat disastrous. I remember one time, I think I was on the way to the Easter vigil. I had a parish assignment in Southeast DC and I was walking from the Metro and a gentleman stopped me and he said something to indicate, I would like to talk to you and I am Protestant and you are visibly Catholic. And um, we had this conversation. I don't think I really defended the faith too terribly well. He had some good questions. I didn't have good answers. It was just, I was kind of like bowled over by the whole, by the whole matter. And at the end I asked him, uh, well, can we, can we pray? You know, it's, it's Easter. Can we, can we just pray together? And he said, no. And I was like, wow, devastating. (laughs) (laughs) It like threw me for a loop because he said like, I don't believe what you believe. And when you address Jesus, you address him in a different way, which I think actually perverts what I believe about Jesus. And I was just like, and it just made it very, it made it abundantly clear to me that, that I, I couldn't presume on what I thought I could presume. And I needed, you know, like, to be a good listener for one, but also to start with those things, you know, like establish common ground, find out what the person holds and what they think you hold. Like what are your authorities? What's your general framework? Does this person actually believe there's truth to be had? You know, like we have a mind, can our mind actually be conformed to reality? You know, because if not like in a certain sense, what's the, you can only have a very minimal conversation. You know, it's just like, all right, there's a train coming. You either get in it or you jump in front of it. You know, it's just like, like you can, you can appeal at that level, but like what else is there to talk about? Right. I remember in uh, nature and method, uh, which I had father Andrew Hofer for at the house. Um, he gave the example of it will do you no good to talk to someone about purgatory. If that person does not believe in sin. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Indubitably. Yeah, so, so people, so people will come up, and uh, people will come up with questions about this, that, or the other thing. But if, but if you don't, if you don't unpack um, the first principles, the things that, the things that lie uh, beyond, um, or that are deeper, you know, you end up, you end up just unable to have a conversation, like, like you said in your example. Yeah. What, what I found too is like sometimes speculative problems are a smokescreen for practical problems or moral problems. Oh, and yes. I don't think that, that people do this in bad faith. But sometimes when you, when you think what you're having is an apologetic conversation, 
what you have on your hands is an opportunity just to love the other person across from you. Um, and that's not mean that you psychologize everyone and say like, you know, what are your daddy problems? And you know, like, why are you having so many difficulties with, you know, chase love? But like a lot of people yeah, say, you, yeah. yeah, like the Catholic church needs to be dismissed for X, Y, and Z reasons. Uh, whether it's because, you know, blah, blah, we don't need to go into it. Uh, and they kind of throw those things up at you, but what ultimately they're, they're, afraid of or upset by or otherwise disturbed by is is something different you know it's just like they've had some experience in their life maybe with a catholic maybe with a christian maybe with someone else or just maybe in their own conscience that they've found especially difficult and they're dealing with that and so like you have an opportunity on your hands not necessarily even <laughs> to give reasons because they don't care and truth be told they may not even be listening um and that's not to say that you just now in, instead of giving them reasons now you just say like patronizing things like, you know, again, aren't you so dear, but that God loves all his children. (laughs) Yes. Jesus loves the little children. Um, but, but that you have an opportunity to like love them in your witness, to love them in your testimony, to love them in your defense. Um, and then that could be more foundational. Okay. With that, let's, let's jump shift a brief word about, um, maybe what St. Thomas has to say about how, what, like what reason can do. Um, so St. Thomas Aquinas, born in 1225. He is one of our uh, elder brothers in religion. And he is uh, hailed as the common doctor because he is such an excellent, um, you know, witness to the coherence of the Catholic faith. He died in 1274 and nothing of consequence has happened since. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. How's that for a bold claim, Father? Hey, hey, whatever. (laughs) People caricature us and then we just step into those caricatures and we say, ha! Um, I got you. (laughs) You did, yeah. No, no chance to come back from that. So uh, St. Thomas Aquinas is sometimes actually thought by his detractors as a bit of a rationalist. I think what we would want to say is that he esteems highly the place of reason in the theological life and the philosophical life in the defense of the faith. So I'm just going to give four ways that he sees it uh, helping, and then we can kind of suss those out as we wind down. So St. Thomas thinks that reason can show how the uh, truths of the faith are coherent, right? So like the Trinity, for instance, you can't prove that by faith, but you can show that it makes sense, you know, whether you draw an analogy to some created thing or whether you explain it in philosophical terms. Another thing that he says, this is number two, is he thinks he can sh- we can show how the faith illumines the human condition. So for instance, like people are all looking around, they're like, hey, socialism, let's like uh, just put all of our chips in this place and then, you know, everything will be awesome and utopic. And then you as a Christian can just be like, wait one second, you haven't accounted for sin. bingo, right, sin. <laughs> you know, there is an intrinsic principle in man, uh, but it's not a principle of evolution. It's a principle of devolution. Whoa. All right. Um, it's like, that's why everything that we touch just goes to pieces. What a blessing. All right. No one um, expects the principle of devolution. <laughs> exactly. Didn't see it coming, but there it is. All right. The third thing is St. Thomas says that certain parts of the faith we can actually prove because what is revealed in faith and what reason can discover overlap. So these are the preambles of the faith. This would be like the existence of God. St. Thomas famously said that we can prove it, right? And then the last thing is there are certain parts of the faith that show that it's worthy of trust. Um, And these, he has a cool Latin word for credibilia or just believables. And uh, things you'll often hear cited in this regard are like the miracles of Jesus Christ. Like how do you account for that? You know, crazy. Mm -hmm. Or like um, the endurance of the church. The fact that um, the church is still here 2,000 years later. 
And, you know, like a lot of institutions have lasted a long time. But when you think about the church's history and how many near-breath escapes it has had, you know, like how it's been saved from a wreck on so many occasions, it's pretty staggering. Um, so, yeah, maybe we can just talk a little bit about those last two um, and what people can do, like, practically, you know, in their lives when it comes to evangelization and apologetics with respect to those. So, in your experience, are there, are there particular things that work well in those conversations, particular things that don't? Right. So the preambula fidei, uh, that's a great principle. An another way of describing what this means is that for Aquinas, faith presupposes natural knowledge. And one, one of the huge conflicts, we're going to talk about this multiple times. We're going to talk about it ad nauseum probably on the podcast. Maybe we'll try and men mention it every episode. <laughs> is that pe people believe that natural science conflicts with supernatural faith. And uh, that's, that's just absolutely not the case. And what saying that um, faith presupposes natural knowledge means is that it, uh, this, this principle allows for us to begin to unpack perceived conflicts between the two, even though they don't exist. So if we believe that something is true of faith and that contradicts, um, and I mean absolutely fundamentally contradicts what, what we understand in the natural world, uh, that's a moment, that, an invitation for uh, continued reflection. Yeah. So I think, I think like some people think that claims of faith are unintelligible or so mysterious that they don't actually admit reason, you know, like they right, don't they actually can't even be discussed. Right. It's yeah. just, they are there to be asserted, affirmed and moved on from. But like what St. Thomas gives us is a real deep confidence that maybe, so like maybe in a conversation, you don't have the answer. You don't have a good argument and you don't even know how to respond. What you do have though is the certainty that truth himself self speaks truly, else there's nothing true. So you know that there are reasons and that in humility, you can say to the person across from you, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I just, I, I don't know how to answer you right now, uh, but I believe that there is a way to respond to you. I need to do some more research. Thank you for encouraging me to learn my faith better. Um, but we know that like, yeah, faith and reason can't contradict and that Jesus Christ, you know, reveals the fullness of the faith through the Catholic Church, and he actually illumines our minds such that we can make inquiry better and more efficaciously. So we have a lot of things in our corner, and we need not never be, like, cowed by fear that we'll be embarrassed in these conversations, because, like, what's the worst that happens? You admit your ignorance, you go home, you learn, and life just kind of proceeds apace. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um with the with this last point with credibilia, I think the one another thing that happens commonly in in discourse about religious faith is that people people reduce faith to experientialism, and they pretend that if you haven't had some kind of mystical experience, then it's not possible to know anything about God or or to say any kind of truths that you've learned about Christianity if you lack this first person supernatural experience. And um, Aquinas. And the, the whole Catholic medieval tradition actually strongly opposes this and gives us a whole, a whole vocabulary, a whole structure, a whole system um, for being able, being able to discuss seriously the things of faith um, in meaningful ways using precise terminology and um, to not be afraid to reclaim that tradition and bring it into conversation with the things that we're seeing today. Yeah, and maybe that's a, that's a good opportunity to just encourage a life of study as as a real integral part of Christian life. I know that Matthew Kelly wrote a book, Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic, and one of the things that he included in that is study. And that doesn't mean that we, you know, everyone by virtue of the fact that they're baptized is called to be a theologian because that's not the case. But <laughs> we are all called to like to learn. Right. Yeah. In the sense that like 
like by by reading things, you know, like wherever we are in our particular, you know, like life of faith to read things that are going to supplement, um, you know, what we know, they're going to have us like to begin to think theologically. And, and there are good things in that regard, like Frank Sheed has an excellent book, Theology for Beginners or Theology and Sanity. Or Bishop Fulton Sheen has a couple of, you know, excellent books like The Divine Romance, which is just an introduction to how Jesus saves us, or The Life of Christ, which is just uh, a kind of theological way of reading the gospel. And by reading those books and, and having a habit of studying rather than like watching a lot of Netflix shows, um, our interior life, <laughs> you know, our, our interior life continues to grow and we, we feel, we kind of like feel in our bones the confidence that the Lord imparts that mm-hmm. come what may, it's not so much that we are prepared as that Christ is prepared in us and that he can use us as an instrument, right? He can use us mind and heart uh, as an instrument for the bringing about of his work, you know, for the coming of his kingdom, which is, which is beautiful. I mean, it's just, and it's, it's a delightful thing to revel in because it's, it's his work and we're just blessed to be caught up in it. Hmm. So Father Patrick, takeaway points, if you want to give uh, one or two, uh, just kind of summary thoughts, what you think is most important or what you think is most pressing. Yeah, the first thing that we dwelt on, um, that took me a long time to really seriously embrace, um, meaning that, that it, the, the disposition of loving the person that you're engaging with, that, that is so fundamental. Um, I've always preferred winning and victory and logic and the power, the power of being rational in an argument um, to, to being, able to being able to change someone's heart as well as their mind, which is really the project of apologetics. Um, so I think that's, I think that's so important, um, to, to love one, uh, to love the one that you're engaging with and then to carry that person in prayer, even after a conversation from the perspective of God's providence, um, in a life of ministry, but in Christian life, God puts all of these people around us, not by accident, but because he wants us to carry them with us, um, and to be touched by them. And so I think that continued prayer you know, deeply persevering prayer for conversion, even even when you feel like it would be very far off um, for someone who may be very close to you. Uh, it's so that's so important, and not to be um, that's not at all to be uh, you know under underappreciated. That's really dangerous. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and that you could be the chosen instrument whereby the Lord changes their life. And it's not because you're good, right? It's because God is good and because God sees fit to use us in his work. Because, you know, like he could just make us like passive recipients of grace. We could all just be saved by reclining perfectly on Barca loungers. But instead he has us work as... petting miniature schnauzers. Exactly. Bingo. (laughs) With a delightful beverage, you know, resting on our paunch. Um, and yeah, but like the Lord, the Lord sees fit to make us more like him in the sense that like he makes us agents in the work. He makes us causes, which is, which is a great dignity. Um, but one that he loves to bestow because he's generous because he loves and because this whole dispensation is all underwritten by grace, which is wild. Um, so I think with that, we're going to, uh, wind it up, uh, a preview of coming attractions. Um, father Patrick and I are just two of uh, a group of uh, Dominicans who you'll hear on this podcast. Uh, you'll hear a kind of rotating cast of characters, but you'll get to know us each. Um, and also, you know, just to give you a little little preview of the next episode, it'll be contrary to what I just said, Father Patrick and me. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, you know, kind of getting it going, as it were. Uh, Father Patrick and I will discuss uh, leisure, a spirit of true leisure, what that means like 
what does the good life consist in? Um, you know, specifically with like contemplation, with with play, with uh, friendship, and things like that. So um, cigars and bourbon. <laughs> Bingo! I left those off the litany, and for that reason, I am ashamed. Um, so yes, <laughs> we look forward to uh, to seeing you then. Thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to uh, to like and to share, uh, and to get this out to those whom you think are most in need. Because it matters what you think, it matters what you love, and you play a role in shaping that. So thanks so much. Thanks for listening to God's Planning a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.